0: Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Jeff Keltner, SVP of Business Development at Upstart. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. So to kick things off, why don't you give us just a quick introduction
1: on yourself and who Upstart is? I'll do my best to to keep it brief. I I was trained as an engineer and kind of spent my career at the the intersection of uh, business and the application of technologies, first at at, uh, Google, where we launched kind of Google Cloud, what is now Google Cloud and Workspace, and then coming here to Upstart, where we really felt like the application of modern technology, and particularly AI, to help lenders Uh, produce a better experience for borrowers and a better credit decisioning outcomes uh, that helped both the institutions and the borrowers was something that was was really uh, the moment for that to happen. And so that's kind of what we came here to do.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. And we'll get into that discussion around AI a little bit more here. You know, and, and people who've listened to the show will know we've talked about this, this bias in credit decisioning and how that hurts consumers. Today, I'd like to approach it from the other side, because we know that it hurts financial institutions too. Poor and outdated decisioning processes place unnecessary downward pressure on an FI's ability to lend. And I know this is something you've spoken a lot about before. Can you start by giving us an idea of the scope of the missed opportunity here? I mean, how big is it? Well,
1: I, I think, frankly, that the opportunity is massive. Uh, some research we did with one of the credit bureaus really showed us that, that more than 80% of the American consumers uh, had never defaulted on a personal credit obligation, and yet fewer than half had, had, had a credit score that would qualify them for traditional prime credit from a bank or a credit union. So you could think about that as something like, if you do that math, it's like 60% more people are creditworthy than we would be willing to lend to. And that's just a huge missed opportunity. And I think most people you know, may not have that stat in their head, but but intuitively know that this is true because when you look at any kind of super risky pool of borrowers, a subprime auto or, or whatever it is, you might see a 20 or even a 30% loss rate, which sounds horrifically large to a bank. But when you decline that entire population, you, you know, you're saying no to the 80 borrowers out of 100 that would have paid you back or the 70 borrowers out of 100 that would have paid you back. And that's just a tremendous missed opportunity, both to provide access to credit, but also to and particularly this time where deposits are up and loan demand is down to put, you know, to put good producing loan assets on the books for a financial institution.
0: Yeah, certainly. It's a, a potential market that's massive. And the people who can tap it and tap it well will have a huge advantage. I think one of the pieces that's really interesting surrounding this is you know, the, the rise of these kind of credit building services, these sort of pay to establish credit services that you see coming out. Clearly, there are a lot of people who are in this boat who feel like they're credit worthy, who want the ability to prove they're credit worthy. They haven't had an opportunity to do that. And they actually have to pay for that service now which is really interesting side of it. What's your take on those pieces and what they say about the broader ecosystem? Yeah, so, I, I mean,
1: they're, they're kind of a, you know, let's be honest, they're a hack on the credit system, um, right? Where you're, the credit the credit system traditionally is looking for certain signals of credit worthiness and they're saying, well, we can help you put them in your file. Uh, and I, I don't begrudge people who use them or the services for being offered because it's a valuable service for those consumers. But I do think it, it shows us that there are many people who, who should have been offered different kinds of credit, often they end up at that credit builder because they applied for an auto loan or applied for a credit card or applied for a personal loan and couldn't be approved. Uh, and for those consumers that went to the credit builder and, and, and made their payments and increased their credit score and then got approved for the loan six months, 12 months later, they, we should have we as an industry should have been able to identify and lend to that customer up front, right? They were creditworthy at the time. We just couldn't see it. And that's a little bit of a failing of the industry to really uh, open up their eyes to how we can better identify those creditworthy individuals.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely it is. And I love that you kind of called it a hack because it is a hack. I mean, we know that the way that credit is reported right now, it places outsized importance on a certain, uh, a couple of key factors here. Those factors are indicative of how likely people are to pay you back, but they're certainly not the whole story. And now we have a situation where people are paying to manipulate those factors. And again, I don't begrudge them either. I think this is what you kind of have to do, but it is really interesting. And it just kind of gets to the heart of the, the fallacies that are at the core of the way that we make these decisions right now. So, you know, I think the the question then is what's the key piece for financial institutions that can help them unlock this segment? Yeah,
1: I think it's it's an interesting question and a timely one because while there's no simple answer, there's no silver bullet that, you know, one one thing you add to your credit policy that's going to solve this. Um, There's really the ability to look more broadly at the information you have on a consumer to make an assessment of risk. And I always say, you know, most the foundation of most underwriting policies are credit scores. Right. And the idea that we can reduce a single person's credit worthiness for everything from a million dollar mortgage to a five hundred dollar loan to a single three digit number kind of doesn't make sense. And it turns out that if we take a deeper look at the data we have on an individual, if we apply some of the emerging technologies like uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning that can look at hundreds of pieces of information on a single applicant, we can get much, much better assessments of the risk a given borrower has for a given kind of credit obligation, right? And that's really important, the combination, not just how risky is this borrower, but how risky is this loan uh, to this borrower? And when you do that in a world where many more people are credit worthy than we might think, it turns out as you increase the accuracy of those models, uh, you can you can increase access to credit, you can approve more people without taking on more risk, and you can lower the price of credit uh, for many consumers that you had pr- approved previously at higher rates. So it's it's really a win-win both for the institution and for the broad consumer population.
0: Yeah, and I think certainly this is one of the big challenges that bankers have to face right now is recognizing the amount of data that they have and trying to use that data intelligently because certainly there's way more data available now than there has been at any point in anybody's mm. lifetime. And, and I think being able to parse that data and use it intelligently is obviously a real challenge, but the rewards are there, they're there to be seen. And so this is, I think, one of the the biggest pieces to, to get on board with. I'm curious to hear your take though on what are some of the other areas where um, there are some barriers that are preventing people or banks in particular from engaging more fruitfully with AI? Yeah, I mean, it's a
1: good question because, you know, as you said, you can see the benefits. Uh, Interestingly, I think lending is one of these problems that is so well suited to AI. Sometimes people don't realize that, but like AI really needs three things, right? It needs something specific you're trying to predict, uh, lots of historical examples of such things, and lots of information on each example. And we have all three. We've been giving out loans for decades, right? We know lots about the borrowers and who paid back and didn't. So it's really well suited. And I think sometimes what... What gets in the way of, of making that obvious leap to applying AI is, is very human, right? It's, um, can I build a team in, in-house to do that? Uh, it, it's, can I can I get all the different stakeholders involved, right? There's often a very conservative decision-making process with a lot of committees, a lot of ways to say no. Uh, and I think for that reason, we see kind of sometimes slower adoption. Um, and, and I think it's, it's reasonable, but it's also, I think, an opportunity for banks to look at in credit unions, how do I how do I limit my risk in different ways, right? How do I think about how I approach this problem and bring on these technologies and accept that there's some degree of risk I need, I don't have a lot of history with them yet, um, but that that doesn't mean I I can't do them. It means I need to have the right kinds of controls of risk, be that, you know, slowly expanding the kinds of loans I'm using this with from a small portion of my portfolio to a larger, or, you know, like an ML person would tell you, you should get rid of all your credit requirements, No, no credit score minimum, no debt to income limit, And of course, nobody really does that in practice. The the practice is, hey, we think this is a much better way to underwrite. we're going to start, you know, we're going to start with maybe a 680 minimum credit score, even though the model says there's lots of lots of good borrowers below 680. And, and after a couple of months, maybe we'll go down to 660 and, and 640. And, and we've seen that at Upstart and the the banks we've worked with, most of them started with a pretty high minimum credit score. Is a simple example of this. And now, you know, many of them are moving to a world where they have no minimum credit score and they're relying on that AI model to tell them in any given credit score population who are the good borrowers. What is the level of risk? So I think you got to think about how do we take very practical ways to ease ourselves into that understanding of the risks over time.
0: I love that you went straight to this kind of human side of it because. I think in many cases, you know, the data is there, the tools are available, but it's this perception inside the organization of, um, you know, the, the change is bad, change is risky, and I think this is, you know, something that we want our financial institutions as a general rule. We want them to be risk averse, but there's a situation here where the potential risk is actually not all visible, and some of these outdated decision processes actually carry with them a lot of significant risk too. You know, beyond the idea that you're um, leaving some of this potential opportunity. On the table, there's obviously this very real human risk that um, you are alienating potential customers for life. You know, we talked about this a little bit before we pushed record. If you as a person are rejected by a financial institution for a loan, that is going to sting. And that's, that pain and that, that um, you know, embarrassment is something that you're going to remember. On the flip side, if somebody comes and helps you out and is willing to lend to you when nobody else is, then obviously that memory is going to live with you a long time as well. And these are sources of risk which are much more difficult to quantify, but very real, especially in a moment where there's about to be you know, this huge opening in terms of who we are able to effectively lend to.
1: Yeah, I think it's very true. People remember both sides, right? The, the negative rejection that they felt was inappropriate. And they they remember very positively the approval when nobody else would, or the, hey, you offered me a rate that was 500 basis points lower than the one my, my bank offered. Like, that's powerful. So I I think that's a real opportunity. But I'd also say every financial institution right now is operating in a world of increased competition, right? Digital has meant that I'm not now just competing with banks that have branches in my footprint. I'm competing often with lots of national digital brands. And I do think you're going to see real competition for borrowers, both on your ability to approve and offer the best rates. Borrowers are rate shopping more than ever, right? So if you're not the best rate, they'll go somewhere else to find it. And I also think these these same technologies can be applied to things like simplifying the onboarding process, reducing the friction involved the documentation. And I think the institutions that don't take advantage of that to provide a more seamless, frictionless consumer experience, to provide you know better pricing and higher levels of approvals, they're going to face really stiff competition, and it's going to be um, you know hard for them to compete over time with players that are taking advantage of these technologies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to just save some time here because we've talked obviously a lot about the, the lending side of it. Are there other significant opportunities for credit unions and banks uh, in, as they map out their AI strategies that, that they should be aware of? Well,
1: I would say generally, I mean, AI is kind of a leapfrog
0: type of technology and its capabilities.
1: So often I've been a fan of like, start with the business problem uh, and, and, and then get to the technology. And here I think you really have to think about what business problems can this leapfrog in, in predictive capacities, Uh, capabilities really unlock. And we've seen a couple uh, really in lending. I think it's easy to focus on underwriting what's the level of risk for a given loan, but we've seen huge improvements in the ability to target marketing to the right consumers with the right channels and the right messages to to dramatically reduce your cost to acquire a customer. For instance, Uh, I mentioned the ability to kind of move to a new way of doing ID verification or income verification that can be done often with only automated connections and no manual upload of document and review of document. In our case, our partners are now seeing more than 70% of loans go through a a, a no manual processing review that takes less than 30 minutes end to end. Uh, And those loans convert more than two, sometimes three X the rate uh, to an actual customer as applications that are required to upload documents um, you could apply this to servicing in terms of who's at most risk of going delinquent. Um, you know, what's the best way to reach them? What's the best mode of communication and time of day to get a hold of that person? Um, those things are all really powerful and all really impact not only the consumer experience, but the economic costs to the financial institution. So it's, you know, it's really a double win where the consumer is happier with what you can provide when you apply these technologies uh, to all these areas. And you as an institution are generally seeing more profitable, lower cost lending programs.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think that's something that everybody wants. You know, uh, we we talked about this a little bit as well. But I frequently get the question from people that I know outside of the industry: How come this process is so painful? How come you? Know, I just need to refinance my mortgage. You reached yeah. out to me and said you want to refinance your mortgage, and I said yes, and then it turned into this you know month long slog of documents yeah. and, and and obviously I'm like, hey, don't blame me. You know, I didn't do it. But uh, it, it is one of those areas where it's really widely known how painful it is, and so there's clearly dramatic room for improvement here. Um, I I want to end by just kind of zooming really far out. You know, you've you've spent a little bit of time talking about the next couple of years and the massive change that's happening. Let's just go with kind of a bold prediction here. What does the space look like five or 10 years from now? How how much do you think can really change in in that amount of time? Uh, I
1: mean, there's there's an old quote in the technology space that we tend to, you know, overestimate technologies opportunities in the short run and underestimate it in the long run. And I think your five to 10 years is right on that kind of delta between long run and short run. And I think it's easy to uh, underestimate how impactful these technologies will be. Um, But I think the application, not just of digital, and I think your comment on digital is so interesting because you know, I, often now I feel like we have digitized legacy processes and not really improved the overall experience. We've, now you upload your documents to on your phone as opposed to bringing them to the ban- branch, but it's still the same documents, the same human review, et cetera. And I think that those institutions that are able to take advantage of not just digital, but automation and the ability to make better better decisions through things like AI about how much documentation do I need? Can I automate the processing of documentation? Can I get to automated sources of documentation? Um, That is gonna fundamentally shift the landscape. And I think you're right, this is a moment of a lot of change. So I guess my prediction is there will be winners and there will be losers uh, in this space and they won't necessarily be the traditional players you might expect. And that the difference between the two will in large part, not just be the race to digital but the ability to effectively use AI and machine learning to automate large parts of the process and both improve the customer experience and lower costs at the same time. And that will really separate
0: the winners from the losers in the new age. Yeah, and I think this this carrot being dangled out there of increased revenue, lower cost. And of course, ultimately the consumers are the ones who really win here. The cost of credit goes down. The number of people who can engage with the financial system fruitfully goes way up. Um, it's going to be really fascinating to watch this space over the next couple of years and see how quickly this change happens. It does really seem like that change is coming and certainly technologies um, enabled by AI are a driving factor behind that. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been really fruitful and appreciate you uh, stopping by the podcast.
1: I appreciate your inviting me. It's been a great conversation.